0: Let's uh, let's go ahead and dive in. I will uh, I will get us started. I'll start by saying uh, welcome to everyone who's joining us. Thank you, uh, Trisha, for being our co-host and admitting people from the waiting room. Yes, um, being a faithful servant. Yep. Faithful. And so uh, here with me this week is uh, Stephen Gilchrist, and in just a moment, we're going to hand things over to Luke Bobo. He's going to lead our presentation this morning, but we wanted to welcome everyone, and uh, we wanted to... Uh, say thanks for joining us today. This is uh, week six, I believe, out of ten of our Philemon Project. We're excited at how it's been going and thankful for this opportunity. Um, We're going to hand things over to Luke in just a moment, but before we do that, we want to pray and ask for God to bless our time together as we learn uh, from what he has to share with us through his servant, Luke Bobo. So, uh, Stephen, will you pray for us?
1: Yes, everybody bow ahead with me. Lord, we thank you because you woke us up this morning. Mm -hmm. You have brought us here to hear from your word, Mm -hmm. to see your son high and lifted up, to feel drawn closer to our God who is always near. And we pray that you would not only be with Luke as he presents, but give us the, the ears to hear and the eyes to see your truth. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, good morning, uh, everyone, and I'm hoping that you can see the slide, and this should be a very familiar passage to you. It's a beautiful passage. Just think, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I wish I I were there in person to give you all a hug, because that's what family members do. So this is the first of two seminars I plan to do about the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow um, in the civil rights era.
0: Okay. Yeah. It says we're reading his screen. Awesome.
2: Is that something I should be privy to Jimmy? Nope. Okay. So um, you may recall the original schedule called for me to talk about the long-term legacy of racism and how we got here, but I'm doing an audible today, and I want to tell you about an African-American family and how this family has been impacted positively and negatively from slavery to Jim Crow to the civil rights era, and that family Well, let me say a brief word about diversity and inclusion, since that's what my slide says. Now, just a brief word here. You can have diversity without inclusion. But real diversity means diversity plus inclusion. And this project that Jimmy, Stephen, and Thurman and and I are working on is a good example of real diversity because inclusion means I have permission to move the furniture. I have the freedom to change the direction of my presentation. So you guys have diversity, you have age diversity, you have gender diversity. And I saw a few African-Americans on the screen or in the room, but you will not have real authentic diversity until those others that are non-white or non-male can actually move the furniture around. So um, that's, that's free, I'm just throwing that in. So again, I want to tell you about a, um, African-American family and how this family has been impacted positively and negatively from slavery, Jim Crow and civil rights, the civil rights era, and that family is mine. That's my son Caleb on the um, far left, Rita and I will celebrate 38 years of marriage this May and my daughter Brianna. But there's some unfinished business that I need to uh, attend to. And that is this, Jimmy sent the three of us this email and I I want to give you a chance to read this because I want to spend some time answering this question. And do take your time to read this um, this very good question. Okay, I assume you've read it. How did this get here? This is a car seat. I will tell you the significance of this car seat a, a bit later. So uh, the person who asked this question, I don't know who you are, but those who ask questions like this, I invite you to come close and ask why. Come close and ask why. So let's, let's take a stab at answering this question. I will say this question, the answer to this question is very complicated because life itself is complicated, because we live in a fallen world. Um, Many Christians like a neat and tidy answer to such things, but that's simply not possible. So I do know a few people that have had an abortion. Uh, My baby sister and I were just talking, and she just blurted out, uh, big brother, I had an abortion. I know an African-American pastor, his wife, they had to decide between the wife's life and the baby's life. That was a tough decision. So they aborted the baby. A good friend of mine, and Jimmy knows this person's name if I were to mention it, he's a PCA elder, he's white. His daughter was raped. She became pregnant they considered abortion, but she decided to keep her daughter. Now that daughter, I think, is a young adult. We have, like most families, we have mysteries. I have a step-aunt that I believe was pregnant as a teenager and sent to Colorado, and she came back and she wasn't pregnant. I remember inviting a guest to a Christian ministries or Christian missions class that I taught at Lindenwood in St. Louis, Missouri, and this uh, Thrive guest speaker reported this. She said she knows of a woman that had an abortion because the woman thought that the baby would interfere with her vacation. And I, I want to just say this very tenderly and very um, carefully, there are, there are likely women at in town that have had an abortion, and I'm sorry, because you were forced into a corner, and I'm sorry that you had to make that decision. So I, I know that's an abrupt segue to this question, but what, what might be some factors that lead African-American women to get abortions? So what might be some factors? And I, I told you earlier that this is complicated. Would or could systemic issues, could that be a factor? And I, I'll give you a chance to read this. I'm not going to read it t- to you, 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 um, you guys are all educated, as Jimmy has told all three of us. You guys are an educated group. So, uh, read this for a moment. I'm quoted in this article and I encourage you to read it in its entirety, but let's see if there's evidence of high incarceration rates, for example. I love math and I love saying this phrase, solve for X. Solve for X. Any guesses what goes into the X there? What number? unmute yourself and i can't see you but unmute yourself and just throw out a number anyone hey luke it's not set for people to unmute themselves okay okay never mind okay (laughs) thank you for that uh commercial uh producer behind the scenes word okay three (laughs) Three. one out of three, 33 percent of African-American men ages 18 to 30 are in jail, in prison, on probation, or on parole. Now this TED talk that Brian Stevenson gave is still one of the top 10 of, listen, of of most talks of talks listened to. I encourage you to listen to it. And I doubt that this number has changed. One out of three. Now, uh, this book that I strongly encourage you to read has this famous line in it. African-American men are locked up and African-American women are locked out. So could that be a reason why these women are having abortions? Because they can't. They don't have a place to raise their kids again this author says african-american men are locked up african-american women are locked out could this be a reason for african-american women having abortions again his brian stevenson he contributed a chapter to this book policing the black man he tells his story He's in Atlanta. I think that's where intown is located, right or nearby. Brian Stevenson is a young criminal attorney. He's driving an old beat-up Honda Civic. He's had a hard day. He comes home. he's dressed in jeans. he's sitting in his car listening to music. He's in a racially mixed neighborhood there in Atlanta just sitting outside his apartment in his car listening to music and suddenly he's surrounded by two police officers who tell him to get out of his car and one of the police officers say I'm a don't move or i'll blow your head off his car is searched illegally and Brian would know that because he's a lawyer. But these police officers didn't even bother to ask him what he did. And that's one of my fears. I have four degrees, but I doubt if a police officer would ask me first, what What do he do? His chapter is entitled, The Presumption of Guilt. And many African Americans have that burden are being presumed guilty. Professor Ra, who wrote the book Prophetic Lament, said this at a Christian Community Development Association meeting in Chicago in 2018. Black men are either perceived as a threat or a pet, a pet to entertain, a threat because someone fears for their life. Another good book uh, that I recommend. I love going to uh, Sundance. I've been to Sundance twice now, um, 2019 and 2020. And those who love film are quite familiar with Sundance. And these films, many of these films, the reason why I like going to Sundance and seeing these films is because these films capture the messiness of life. They capture the complications of life. Many of these films don't end like a Disney film. They end with, they have a broken ending. And one such film I saw was this this film, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And this film is one I think about often. And I'll tell you why. So this is Autumn. Autumn and her cousin, Skylar, make a trek to New York. But first, before they make that trek to New York, Autumn is pregnant. She comes from a family that is the blue, a blue-collar worker family, barely making ends meet. Autumn is pregnant. She goes to an abortion clinic. And because she's a minor, she needs her parents' signature or consent to get an abortion. But what's amazing about this is Autumn lives in Pennsylvania and the focus there in this abortion clinic is on the baby. Those assisting Autumn don't ask how she's doing. Their focus is on the baby. So Skyler, the cousin of Autumn, they catch a Greyhound bus to New York because there, Autumn doesn't need parental parental consent to get an abortion. And there, when Autumn is seeing the abortion um, person that you check in with, This person asked Autumn this question. Is your boyfriend aggressive when you guys have sex? Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Those are the questions on this survey, if you will. Autumn doesn't answer. You see, Autumn was date- raped by her boyfriend. And she was so traumatized, she couldn't answer. She had the abortion, and they catch the Greyhound bus back to Pennsylvania. So it's it's complicated. Please ask why. You see, many of these African-American mothers, like Autumn, were raped. That's why I'm reluctant to do these 23 and me, these DNA tests, because I'm afraid of who I might find are relatives, because someone was raped. I'm sure someone was raped in my family. There's, there's been too many hush-hush, behind the wall conversations. So these African-American mothers too have been raped. And to the black church Shane, Many black churches don't even bring up the subject of abortion, and that breaks my heart. Many black churches are not addressing the breakdown of the family. That, again, pains me. And you you have to ask yourself, why are there so many Planned Parenthood clinics in the hood? That's, that's not by accident, and I'm trying to um, I'm trying to not start crying because that, that question is a, is a very emotionally packed question. Many of these mothers do not have access to live a, a, a livable income. And this is true of white churches too. We don't hold the man accountable. We blame the woman, we ostracize the female, but I I hear very little about keeping the man accountable. And many of these mothers have been abandoned by their men. Some fathers are actually taken away from these mothers. And so I need to just warn you, what I'm about to show you next is pretty graphic. So this is Philando Castile. you probably heard his name, 32 year old man that was shot by police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That name, that city should sound familiar to you. That's where George Floyd was killed. So Philando, I should tell you this, he he was stopped forty-nine times in thirteen years. By the police. Forty-nine times in thirteen years. You you do the math, you can determine the rate of being racially profiled. So he's put over by the police. I'm sure you know the story. He tells he tells the police, I have a gun. And Philando had a, um, the license to carry a gun. He was required to tell the police officer, I have a gun. So, so far, so good. Uh, Philando tells the officer, I need to reach for my wallet. Philando reaches for his wallet, and the police officer shoots him. and his girlfriend and a baby were in the car when the shooting occurred. Here's a young father taken away. That's the officer that shot and killed Philando. He was exonerated. He was found not guilty. I, I, I hope the person who asked this question and all of us are saying how complicated, we, we think there's a simple answer. It, it's just too complicated. So why do I have this car seat in the slide? Single black men, because they are racially profiled have been have been given this pro tip put a car seat in your back seat and you're less likely to be pulled over because the police officer thinks you're a family man. And I doubt if my white friends have to do such things. But it's a matter of survival. We don't know if we're going to meet a good cop or a bad cop. So I should, I should say this, when African-Americans hear the abortion drumbeat continuously, this is what we hear. When we hear an overemphasis on one societal issue, we think there's no concern about euthanasia. There's no concern about embryonic stem cell research. There's no concern about fair housing or battling mass incarceration. When we hear one societal issue over and over and over again, this person cannot possibly care about research on the, on, on the vulnerable. These folks who overemphasize this one societal issue cannot possibly care for IVF or the the dignity deficit. I wish I could claim ownership for that phrase, but Arthur C. Brooks came up with that. We don't hear, I don't hear pro-life. I hear regard for only the early stage of a human person. And I would suspect that many African-Americans feel likewise. So let's answer this three-part question. There's two parts that are obvious. And there's a third part that this person did not ask that I want to answer. So here's the question, and I, I give you a little more context. I want to first address what's underlined. That's tragic and racist. It is tragic, but it's not racist. And maybe we should start. Maybe we should have started this whole series with a a list of um, definitions or a glossary. A racist treats with contempt someone of a different race. A racist treats someone as ontologically inferior. You probably heard that phrase before. That was in my sermon last week. So that's part one. Part two. Is this result of slavery? I wonder. Well, you don't have to wonder, it is. And here's some evidence. Here's Here's the reality of slavery. In a slave society, all economic production depended intimately on the slave's brawn, brains, and compliance. I'm reading this book by David Blight on Frederick Douglass. Douglas was a bad dude, <laughs> he, beat up, he beat up his slave master and, and fled. For 246 years, white slave masters used Africans as a tool to amass generational wealth. You might say it this way, whites had a 246 year head start on amassing generational wealth. So what, is the, what, are the, what are the consequences of slavery? I'll give you a chance to read that. The wealth gap is one of the consequences. So if you do the math That means black families have a median net worth of 17,000. Again, as I said, I love math and I love applying that skill to things like this. And this is really, it's just hard to believe that some people, some African-Americans have negative wealth. And could this be a factor why some opted to get an abortion? So you might be asking the question, what might we compare wealth to? Uh, What about a bathtub? I love this quote. Wealth, money, securities, and real estate is analogous to the level of water in a bathtub while income is analogous to the flow of water into the tub. Some of us have a pretty high level of water in our bathtubs, but many African-Americans don't. And I know you're on mute, so I was gonna ask you to answer this question. What impacts the level of water? You may recall my sermon from last week, access to jobs, access to the economy, opportunity. Many Blacks are not looking for a handout. They're just looking for opportunity. So that's part one, part two, part three. And this is what the person did did not ask. Yes, it's due to slavery and other systemic factors. And I want to challenge in town. You cannot undo the impact of slavery, but in town, Presbyterian Church can address some of these systemic issues. Indifference and no action is not an option. Indifference and no action is not an option for you in town and that's true of every church let me sum up um all these factors by us watching this uh, very short video and make it bigger that's too small don't you agree Jimmy, I think we have time for uh, some Q&A if you want to, because I don't think I have the capacity to go to my next topic.
0: Okay, great. Um, well, let me suggest then that one way we could do that is uh, for people to uh, put a question in the chat. Luke, are you able to, to see the chat function? I am, I am. Uh-huh. And, uh, you can respond to questions as they come up there. So let me, uh, let me invite people, if you have a question for Luke about something that he's presented this morning, uh, put that in the chat function on our Zoom call, and he can see that. I'll give you a moment to do that. Um, so let me, uh, let me first, if I could, just uh, say, Luke, thank you very much for taking the time to share with us uh, some of the things that you did. Um, you you told us this. We don't have to guess it, that that, that was hard for you to do. Um, you know, you even mentioned at one point that you were fighting back tears, and I suspect that that was probably the case throughout a whole lot of what you were presenting. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that and thank you for pressing through that, even as difficult as it was. Um, could I speak for a moment to to uh, my white brothers and sisters. Um, Thankfully, I have brothers and sisters who aren't white, (laughs) and uh, not all of us on this Zoom call are white. But to those who are, let me just say a couple of honest things. Um, You may be angry right now. You might be hurt. You might be offended. You may wish that, um, that Luke hadn't shared some of the things that he did you may be having a very strong emotional reaction. Remember something we said a couple of weeks ago. That oftentimes our, our, our intense emotional reactions are a great moment for God to teach us something. So the question becomes, why am I responding as strongly as I am? And uh, what does God want me to learn in this moment? Um, perhaps what he wants you to learn is uh, related to the intensity of that reaction that you're having. Uh, a ne- another question that we spoke of a couple of weeks ago is that um, you know, our, our first response to hearing some of the hard things that uh, we've heard this morning or seen um, often is, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I, I wish Luke hadn't said those things, or I wish Luke had spent his time addressing a different set of questions or I wish he hadn't shown that video, or I wish he hadn't presented us with that statistic. Um, I was hoping for something more hopeful. I was hoping for something a little more encouraging. I didn't like that. And instead of that being our, our first response, I, I'd encourage us to ask first the question of, are these things true? Not whether we like them or not, but are they true? Is, is it true that these things are happening in our world around us? And if so, how is God calling us to respond? Um, so I, I say that simply because uh, th- this, this kind of dialogue is part of, of how God is going to call us to heal and grow going forward. Uh, Luke is right. If, if white Christians aren't willing to draw near, come close and listen to black Christians, then uh, we have very little hope for growth and progress. And if we won't come close and listen because we're afraid of what we might hear, then th- that, that's going to be a real barrier. But the Lord Jesus, He gives us grace to come close and listen. And one of the things I'm encouraged about from the New Testament is um, in the earliest centuries of the church, Uh, people who really didn't like each other, who grew up in in completely different cultures. Stephen, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Yeah. Um, Texts that talk about weak and strong Mm -hmm. in the early church and really different sets of value systems, cultural upbringing, different ethnicities, Mm -hmm. religious backgrounds. Yeah. These are people, first century Christians, who had nothing in common. Right. Except for one thing. Hey. Faith in Christ. Jesus Christ. And and because of that shared thing, that shared faith in Christ, they came close and they listened and they butted heads over a lot of things and they disagreed over a lot of things. And the church nearly imploded many times. (laughs) Many times. Name name me a New Testament letter that mentions that kind of dynamic. First Corinthians. First Corinthians. (laughs) Name me another one. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. How about another one? First Thessalonians. Okay. Uh, We could add Romans. We could add Galatians. We'd just keep going and say we are part of a movement that historically is full of people who are not like one another coming together and working through really hard, painful, deep issues simply because they loved one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And uh, so whatever discomfort might be uh, part of this morning's conversation, man, the gospel is powerful and it, and it gives us hope. So Luke, one of the things that stuck with me in your video there was the bulldozer at the end. That's the gospel bulldozer, right, that can come in and begin to knock down some of those barriers, uh, that were erected. Um, so Luke, you want to, uh, address some of the questions that are coming in through the chat?
2: Well, I'm not getting any questions. I'm getting statements. Um, I want to address this one by, um, Don and Colleen, I believe they make the statement. I'm very disturbed by this today. I do not diminish in any way all of the injustices mentioned. I don't think in any way that that excuses the injustice of abortion, as it seems was implied today. I understand that people have hard choices to make. Some people use those circumstances to justify a wrong choice of killing their unborn child. Well, I must be... um, See, how do I put this? Uh, I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but you didn't listen to a word I said. In no way was I justifying abortion. If you read that New York Times article, I come out in the article and I'm quite passionate against abortion What I was simply trying to do in this presentation was show you why, in many cases, women of all colors get abortions. And if, if if that was your understanding, then I miscommunicated. But I think you misheard me. Dr. Collins at Covenant Seminary would say, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not justifying... Abortion at all. I'm just simply giving you some reasons why women of all stripes and sizes get abortions. If we're going to apply um, criticisms to one race, we need to apply the criticisms across the board. And we also need to think, how can I prevent, if if I'm so disturbed by this, How can I prevent these abortions? Maybe by just saying hello to someone. Maybe I should move into the hood. And I don't recommend that all of you move into the hood. That that would freak people out. (laughs) That would freak me out. But God is calling some of you to move into the hood. And you're being disobedient. God is calling some of you to adopt some of these kids. So, they're, so the mother can have the baby. Maybe God's calling you to adopt the baby. And I, I don't apologize for being passionate. And Jimmy can fire me today if he wants, but, but truth is truth. I better stop there, I suppose.
0: Could there are any other statements it there like, that, that you want to respond to?
1: Yeah, maybe Caleb had a question, it looks like.
2: So my gut reaction is to... We talked, about, we talked a lot about injustices faced by our friends and neighbors, but how do we start to address these issues without throwing up our hands and withdrawing because the problem is so big? Mm. I can't answer that question for you.
1: Mm.
2: Blacks have no option. We, we cannot withdraw. Mm. We, we've been asking for our white brothers and sisters to join us for years, Dr. King, in his letter from the Birmingham jail, that was his criticism of the white clergy. When it got too hot and uncomfortable, the white clergy said, "Uh, well, maybe we should pause for a moment. Some of these issues are too urgent to, to hit the pause button. And in town has been blessed with assets the people are an asset, your building, your budget. What what would it look like if you all sat around the same table and just imagine together, how can we use our assets to help reduce the number of abortions? I remember a, a quote, and I can provide the quote or the, the source later, but the, the quote is this. A church that doesn't fight injustices is no church at all. What are some of the injustices that in town is engaged in to overturn, to make that switch from an injustice to justice? Let me put it this way. What is in town doing to bring about shalom? And here's a simple definition of shalom. Nothing is broken and nothing is missing.
1: Hey Luke, if, if you don't you don't mind, I, I would like to speak to uh that question by Caleb. Yep, yeah, please. Caleb, uh, brother, you, you ask a very good question. Um, I, I want to encourage you, encourage us to consider a couple of things. Um, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are a community of believers. We are a household of faith. Uh, we, we shouldn't be doing any of these things uh, in a solo manner. We should be doing these things with other like-minded believers. Um, Jesus calls us the light of the world. You don't take this light and hide it under a basket. You you set it on top of the hill, and you, with grace and truth, with seasoned speech, go and be faithful. Go and love on your neighbor. Um, you do this in, in a community. This is the, be- the the beautiful thing about covenant theology is that it's not just about mental categories. It is about us being a covenant family, about us having a covenantal relationship with God and with each other. And then we go and take that, that truth to the world. We don't just kind of you know look at things and say, hey, we don't have any hope. Jesus got up from the grave, Caleb. That's why we got hope, brother. That's why we should always have hope, right? So whether it's something going on in your particular family, something going on here in town, something going on here in Atlanta, Jesus got up from the grave. So we really have all that we need pertaining to life and godliness, Peter says, to actually approach any and everything in this world, knowing that everything is broken, knowing that, that we are not perfect, but then also knowing that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. So I I hope that's an encouragement to you uh, as it it encourages me. And and like Luke said, you know, uh, historically, and I think just kind of the way things are, we don't get to sort of play the sideline because we are God's children left here in this world to make an impact for him and his kingdom. To be on mission to partner with God on, in His mission, really, um, <laughs> really. I mean, so I, I hope that's an encouragement to you, brother.
2: Let me let me just just um, add a footnote to what Stephen said. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. I think the scriptures say that. This, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, we, we have access to that. Why do I need to fear those that can harm the body when we have the Holy Spirit on our side? Christ told the lawyer who tried to justify himself, go and do likewise. Let's do the gospel. This is just not an intellectual exercise. We we're called to do it. So Jason Kane, um, who 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 struggled through a class I taught last semester. <laughs> Sorry, Jason, you're probably traumatized. Jason asked a question, can you expand more on black men as a threat mm. or as a pet? And how do you see this in the church, in the PCA? I'll let Steven address how he sees this in the PCA because I'm not in the PCA. Mm. But I'll give you a, a good example. Uh, several years ago, I drove a, a group of students in a van from St. Louis to Atlanta. a passion conference and i remember we were out walking i was leading the group and it was me and several white students and there was one biracial student in the group so about 15 of us i can't remember the number and as we're approaching a white lady she grabs her purse She 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 just made an assumption that I was going to steal her purse. And some of the I see some African Americans on the screen, and maybe Stephen has faced this. But sometimes when we step on the elevator, and there's a white female only on the elevator, I would step off because she might think I'm a threat, or she might she might blame me for something that I didn't do. Think about that lady in New York in the park. I'm sure you remember that. <laughs> and years ago, my dad would tell me, son, don't marry or don't, don't bother with white females because they have a tendency. It seems like their word trumps your word. Again, we're talking about history, racial history, why African-Americans live the way they do because in the past, read about Emmett Till, The woman who accused Emmett Till of flirting with her later said, I lied about that. And Emmett Till lost his life. A 14-year-old teenager. And so how are black men as pets? Think about uh, Colin Kaepernick. People got upset with him because he stepped out of his lane. He, he, he should have been more concerned about playing the football, playing football and throwing the football. He had no business protesting police brutality. So Kaepernick became a pet and a threat. And, and many white folks are content with us dancing and playing football or shooting the basketball they don't want us to talk about some of the daily realities of African Americans just they they simply want us to stay in our lane. That's what I mean that's what Dr. Rob means by being a pet or a threat and I'll let uh Steven speak about, have you seen this in your church context or in the p c a you only have a few
1: minutes. Yeah, I will answer this uh, very, very shortly, and then we're going to just transition to uh, what's coming up next. Um, What I have experienced in the PCA since 2017 is a seat at the table without power, often without a voice. But... We got some good things coming up next hour.
2: (laughs) Oh, keep us in suspense. (laughs) All right. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So actually, Stephen and I were talking about this earlier in the day and uh, talking about a recent conversation I had with a ministry colleague in our denominational circles who who was just commenting on how few uh, black leaders there are in leadership in our denominational circles. And uh, so, how can we change that? Uh, n- not not because we feel there is some quota that must be met, but because there are voices that need to be heard, mm-hmm. and um, voices among brothers and sisters mm-hmm. that want to listen to one another. Uh, so we'll we'll be uh, thinking about that, talking about it in weeks to come. Um, let me take a moment now and just uh, summarize for us, transition us toward what comes next today and what comes next, next week. Um, So one thing I'll say is uh, just to kind of recap, if you joined our conversation midstream, uh, Luke started this morning by uh, responding to an email, a question we had uh, through email related to abortion and how that might relate to racism and the results of slavery. And so Luke led us through some, some factors related to that conversation Luke, one thing that you said clearly, and I think it's probably worth repeating, is that uh, nothing that you said was intended or should have been uh, implied uh, to mean that abortion is justifiable um, or that somehow uh, God's people should um, uh, view life in the womb lightly. I think one of your points, Luke, would be um, let's let's be consistently pro-life uh, and and consistently champion uh, the lives God has created in His image at every stage of life, whether that's uh, in the womb or outside the womb. and um, That's
2: why I like to say, Jimmy, pro-life for me is concern for life from womb
0: to tomb. Yeah, Yeah. Thank you. Well, and uh, so let me pray for us, and then we'll transition to what comes next. So next week, we'll meet again at 9 o'clock for another Zoom seminar, and uh, we'll look forward to that together. But uh, right now, we're going to transition to worship here at In-Town Community Church. If you're not worshiping with your own church this morning, or if you're wanting to join us, we're going to have a a sermon. And uh, Stephen, tell us a little bit about that sermon. (laughs) well these 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 two
1: men right here are going to be tag preaching this morning, so you're gonna have a great expositor and then just a a guy that was found um <laughs> oh, at some on. point along the way so come on come on yeah love your modesty we are going to uh do something that's new for me is is it's uh it's it's been a while for Jimmy to do this yep. but just to tag tag preach a text and You know, um, like every time we have a seminar or a sermon, we want God's people to be built up. So that's the prayer. So we'll be looking
0: at the book of Philemon this morning and unpacking some of the details of that scripture text. uh, No way. Philemon. We will. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we'll be talking about how the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform relationships and to transform us. Yeah. Um, in our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. So let me pray for us as we get ready to transition to that time. Lord God, um, this was a hard morning, and that's okay. Uh, your people are called to deal with deep truth and deep reality. And you have called to yourself a wide variety of people. We don't all come from the same background. We don't all have the same history. We don't share all of the same concerns or even the same vocabulary. Uh, Sometimes when we agree, we still speak with different emphasis uh, and we still leave those conversations where we might agree on so much thinking, I wish my brother or sister had emphasized different things, Hmm. but all of that is part of your design for us as your people. And, uh, there is much that we need to learn from one another, even from people whose comments might make us uncomfortable. We pray today that you would make us a community of love because of our shared faith in you, and that rather than walking away from difficult conversations, we would press in more deeply, and we would say, no matter what, we want to know Jesus. We want to trust his word and live it out, Together, And we want to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, not according to our own preferences or our own wisdom, but trusting what you can do and trusting that as you make us love one another more deeply, the result would be an overflow of shalom and kingdom goodness into our neighborhoods, our city and our world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. We put our hope in him. Amen. Amen. Have a great morning, everybody. See you in worship very soon. Bye-bye.